After leaving uni, I did the usual route where you're a girl in the music industry, there aren't many jobs available, you're either a PA or a receptionist. Yeah. Couldn't type fast enough to yeah. be a PA, so stuck on reception. Yeah. But I like to chat, so yeah. you chat to people and you kind of meet people. And then I just kind of moved my way up working in record labels, and then I ended up working at a DJ agency. Mm. And this is what opened you know, my eyes to the worldwide global music industry. Nowadays, if I look back with the opportunities young people have, when I first started, there was never the thought that you should start your own company, or it was always you were going to work for someone else, as you know, you're conditioned to kind of think that you're going to do this same career and you'll do that for the rest of your life. Why not try lots of different things? Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Nikki McNeil is the queen of festivals and has one of the most exciting jobs I know. With a global publicity brand, she travels the world promoting some of the most unique and exciting festivals you can imagine. From Serbian forts to Icelandic glaciers and from the streets of Amsterdam to the beaches of Ibiza. Nikki works all year round bringing people together in some incredible settings. From her early years as a keen radio presenter, she's worked her way up through extremely competitive music industry and has forged her own way into a niche in the realm of promotion. This is the eventful life of Miss Nikki Neal. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for inviting me, Dodge. I'm so excited to be here in your amazing studio. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? It's pretty good, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, we've been we've had this studio now for about a year. Wow. Yeah, so super, super excited. But let's 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 get let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you get into the events industry and the music industry? Wow, that's a big question. I think I've probably forgotten where I've grown up. No one normally asks that. Um, actually, in a small town in Hertfordshire, Welling Garden City. Uh-huh. I think I got into it because I used to listen to Kiss FM as a pirate. I used to love listening to Judge Jules, Danny Rampling, all those kind of DJs. Yeah. Um, and that made me want to get into radio. Um, and I remember when Kiss went to... Um, an FM station. So it was a, it originally was a pirate station. Yes. Yeah. So I used to listen on there, yeah, listening yeah, to yeah. all the new tunes. Used to love all that dance music uh, back in the day. Yeah. Um, what, what years were roughly talking here? Oh, yeah, it must have been mid nineties, I yeah. guess. Okay. Yeah, those kind, that kind of era. I suppose I was about fifteen. Yeah. That kind of age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember then when they went to an FM station. Um, Dangerous Dave Pierce on his yes, drive time show. Right. Remember that? Um, he had a, a competition to win uh, a radio rig to your school so you could learn how to do it. Oh, wow. So me and my friend Seema at the time, uh, we uh, we arranged a schoolgirl kissogram <laughs> to, to go to Kiss FM and meet Dave and then read a poem yeah. that we'd written. Uh, and we won. Did you? Yeah. Well, so we, what was the poem? Do you remember the poem? I can't remember the Come poem. Come on, Nikki. I can't. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to try and find my friend Seymour and see if yeah. it was around somewhere. But I do remember, though, that the, the, the strippogram did have red hair. Yeah. And I have red hair. Yeah. So every time I see Dave Pierce now, he thinks I was the strippogram. The strippogram. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it wasn't me. 
So that sparked that sparked you, was it? That the Kiss FM was your sort of yeah. That was the bit where you like, you know what? I want to get into the music industry. That was my light bulb that, moment. Wow. Loved the music, you know, loved the vibe of it. Just yeah. wanted to be in radio at the time. Um, and then had the radio read round to school. Yeah. Um, we had, I think it was Graham Gold at the time who mm. did the breakfast show. He was one of the DJs who was showing us how to use it. So it was really exciting. Yeah. And then he talked to me about promotions and other careers in the industry. And that was another little light bulb moment because yeah. I was like, oh, maybe do I want to be famous? No. Do I want to be in the public eye? Maybe I should work behind the scenes. Because yeah. he was saying because I'd organised the Kissagram and done all that work, maybe I would be good in promotion. So that gave me another little thing. Well, do I want to be on radio or do I want to be Amazing. in promotion? So Amazing. that gave me another idea. So then he also suggested working hospital radio was a good way route into the radio industry so I did my research uh got on hospital radio I think it was Hartford Hospital mm. Radio mm. so I did some uh, stuff there but um they said that they weren't going to train any under more any more under 18 year olds yep. to um present on the radio so I was a bit disheartened by that but I started ringing up record companies trying to get music to play uh you know on the shows and stuff and I think the first person who actually gave me music was Richard Russell from XL. Okay. He was the first person who would send me music for the shows there, which was Brilliant. really nice. Brilliant. So that was quite exciting. So I kept doing that. Uh, and then I got, then I met another radio DJ there. I think his name was Ian. Um, and he was doing a, he was from the University of Hertfordshire mm. in uh, Hatfield. Mm. And he said, if you can't do a radio show here, why don't you come to the university? So I was like, oh, that's cool. So uh, basically he took me to the university. They showed me how to use the equipment in about 10 minutes. And what equipment are we talking here? Like a proper radio desk. They had the vinyls um, oh. and they had little tape cassettes for your jingles and stuff. Yeah. So it's a proper kind of old working studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so it's great. So I thought I thought I was the bee's knees. You yeah, know, they're but... like, you know, these students show me how to use <laughs> it, did a demo in 10 minutes. They're like, right, you can have the show. So I did a show on Saturday night and I called it the Baseline Breakdown. And little did I know, though, that no student wanted that show because they were all out on the piss Party. drinking. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> so there's me thinking, I'm brilliant. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I did that show for about two years uh, and I used it to um, invite all the people that were sending me records onto my show. So I had Judge Jules came on my show. I had uh, people from Big Life Record, XL Records. Brilliant. Yeah, Richard Russell came down. You know, so I got to meet a lot of people who I'd idolised who were sending me records to go, hey, look, I am playing them. Look, here's my show. Good for you. So I've probably got some quite embarrassing cassettes of people mm. up in my loft somewhere. Mm. They'll, um, they'll come back one day, the old cassette, <laughs> won't they? <laughs> yeah, I guess they will. I need to transfer so that, them over. So, so basically, you've, you're opening doors here. You're at that age where you're going... I'm going to bang doors down. I'm going to speak to people. I'm going to open, I'm going to create opportunities for myself. Yeah. And this is where it all stemmed from. So what was your movement there then? What Were you always thinking, I'm going to stick to radio? Or were you thinking there's other opportunities within the events industry? What was, what was going through your mind? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was still at school doing my A-levels then, mm. you know, uh, this was kind of like a side thing. I mean, I couldn't even drive then. My poor dad was driving me to the radio <laughs> to do my show and picking me up, yeah. you know. So I was like uber cool, like, Dad, hide. Don't, hide around the corner. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't look really uncool with you picking me up, yeah. you know. Um, and I think after that, I got um, to go to Manchester to uni. So I kind of Good part of uni, that one, isn't it? Yeah, so I was very lucky mm. uh, for three years. Uh, I think it was the late 90s. Uh, what was it? Probably 96 or something mm. like that. Um, or maybe it was 
before What did you him, study? I did media and business studies. Mm. So, um, you nice. know, but the, the business... Well, uh, partly, but then the business studies, a lot of the stuff I learned was obsolete. Yeah. You know, you learn those like uh, computer programs like Linux, where the screen is like um, red and orange and you don't have a mouse and you're pressing a cursor. Yeah. That program is now obsolete. Yeah. So I spent like, you know, a year of my life learning, learning that. that. So what actually got you into, after radio, get you into events and music festivals? Because that's what you're known for. Yeah, uh, well, that's probably a big probably jump in my career. That's probably when I worked for the DJ agency. Because um, after leaving uni, I did the usual route where you're a girl in the music industry. There aren't many jobs available. You're either a PA or a receptionist. Yeah. Couldn't type fast enough to yeah. be a PA, so stuck on reception. Yeah. But I like to chat, so yeah. you chat to people and you kind of meet people. Um, and then I just kind of moved my way up working in record labels. And then I ended up working at a DJ agency. Mm. And this is what opened, you know, my eyes to the worldwide global music industry. Yeah. You know, I was doing PR for the DJs, but I could see where they were DJing every weekend. Yeah. So I was working with DJs like Pete Tong, Smoking Joe, Danny Rampling, which was yeah. really amazing yeah, when amazing. you're in your early 20s, Absolutely. you know. Uh, a great learning national heroes yeah i know mm. you know it was great to learn from those people and kind of you know learn about the business but yeah. you'd see them playing in like israel america turkey you know spain and you were like wow what is this yeah. you know um and i think what opened the door for events was um i remember uh, my boss at the time was having um a discussion shall we say about the cost of a private jet for pete tong to play at exit festival yeah Exit is... Uh, it's a festival in Serbia. Serbia, wow. Yeah. So basically, I, I kept answering the phone. So because he's trying to get through and she's not willing to talk to him yet, you know, yeah. so you're kind of being that friendly person yeah. in the middle. The gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, friendly gatekeeper. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, because he kept getting me on the phone, he then asked, well, what do you do then? Who's, who's this? He was one of the promoters who was involved with the festival Oh, at the I time. see. Okay, okay. So then because he kept phoning and getting me, he then asked me what I did. So I told him about do PR for the DJs. Yeah. He was like, oh, maybe you should do PR for the festival. Brilliant. So just by being the friendly gatekeeper and chatty, that kind of opened the door to doing that festival, oh, wow. which was then really exciting. And then because, as you know, the industry is quite small. Lots of people know each other. Yeah. It kind of snowballs. Like, oh, you do that festival. Oh, will you do this one for yeah. me? Or you do that. And, you know, going to a country that you probably would never go to on holiday. Yeah. And experiencing the people, the atmosphere, it was just, I, I can't, I can't explain it. It was just, you know, that kind of vibe and the atmosphere. And there's something really special about their dance arena there. Basically, the Serbs love to party yep. and the festival's eight to eight in the morning. Eight. P.M. to PM. 8 a.m. Right, okay. For four days. For four days. And the sun comes up over the fortress walls. Um, about so what's the venue? What's the venue then? It's the exit festival in Serbia. Tell me the venue. What okay, it's um, oh, it's just awe inspiring. It's this amazing fortress overlooking the River Danube. Um, you know, when I first went, you know, it was it was quite sad. It was after a lot of the NATO bombings there, um, and some of the bridges were still bombed out. So you're in this, you know, hugely, you know, just war torn region. Yeah. But the people are just so welcoming, oh, and the atmosphere was great. And when that sun comes up over the fortress walls at like four four thirty, you know, from night to day in the morning, yeah, oh. it just goes yeah, off, and they don't leave. That they're just the most welcoming partying people. Yeah. I'd ever imagined and that kind of really 
light bulb moment for me then was like, I love this. I love meeting new people yeah. in different countries. I love learning cultures in different countries. Yeah. I love learning the music scene in different countries. And I love traveling. Yeah. So that kind of was Ticked my... every box. Yes, it was a tick. So it was like, this is what I want to do. Wow. So that was kind so of what a year big was moment. The, would you remember what year that was, roughly? The first time I worked for Exit was 2004. 2004. And you've been working for them all the way up Ever till since, now. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So when you when you got that gig at Exit, what were you actually doing for them? Mainly promoting it into the UK and international media. So basically, you're helping raise awareness to uh, you know gain ticket sales for people to go on festival holidays. It was kind of the early stages of the festival holiday, which is yes. now a massive thing massive, now. If you right. think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there weren't many people promoting in the UK at that time. It was kind of there was a festival called Dance Valley in Holland. You may remember mm. Ross Kilda. Was was. There was obviously the Miami Winter Music Conference, yes. um, but there wasn't as many. So it was kind of one of the first in a new kind of country that's like, oh, what's this country? What we don't this? know what yeah. this country is. Um, and then we'd invite journalists to go on what's called a press trip. Yeah, You know, everyone loves a press trip. Yeah, so then, Yeah, a bit of a freebie <laughs> trip, bit of a jolly, yes. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, journalists get to come and experience it, meet the people and, and hopefully felt the way I did when I first went. Ah. You know, so... So the owner of Exit Festival go, Nikki... I want you to do the PR. I want you to get the press on board. I want you to get as much publicity as possible for our festival in Serbia. Yeah. And on top of that, we're going to pay you to do that. And we're going to pay for your flights and accommodation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on top of that, we want you to bring other journalists to the festival to get free publicity. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. Mm. I've always started small and grown with the with events the I've event. worked with. That's the way with forward, right? Because then you grow together yeah. and then you build that trust. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And that's how I've built mine. I know other people would do, have yeah. bigger businesses and do it a different way. Yeah. But I just feel that's right for me and it works well, for me. it's worked. It's worked a treat. So just explain for listeners out there, your company is called? Global Publicity. Global, Global Publicity. When you're doing your PR for, for example, Exit Festival in Serbia, give an example of what magazines and papers and people you're talking to. Okay. Uh, I mean, I should probably say that it's like a 12-year process as yes. well because as you know with your event festivals don't just promote three to six months before now it's a year-round thing you yes. know if you think about how many people are announcing lineups now yeah. for next year already yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they do their special christmas ticket offer yeah, and all yeah, that yeah, so yeah. basically you know uh, you kind of get involved in everything. You know, my job is to help with every press release that goes out to get news coverage, making sure you're getting interviews. You might be doing media partnerships with people, whether that's an ad advertising or a contra deal basis. So yeah. and then you'd be arranging the press trip. So it's kind of year round publicity. Yeah. And also a lot of my clients uh, go to the industry conferences like the Amsterdam dance event and they do parties there. So you're making sure you're raising awareness on every activity they do, yeah. or they might be speaking on a panel at a conference, yeah. you know, whether it's the great escape or Eurosonic Norderslag yeah. or ILMC, any of those kind of big industry conferences. So you've got to make sure that you're covering all bases Everything. at all times. And obviously then there's the social media, yeah. particularly with exit, you know, they love uh, doing live streams and they have some great live streams from different locations locations and some of the biggest DJs and then you have to negotiate live stream partners whether it's Beatport or you're working with some other sites like Mr After Party to get that social coverage as yeah. well with those mixes. And are so you are you in charge of their social media or they've got someone else in charge of social media and you're just feeding feeding them the content once you get the content in? 
they've got an amazing uh, digital team. They okay. are amazing. I just help liaise with some of the media partnerships associated with it, with the what's called cross-posting, yeah. when you would cross-post a mix onto other platforms as well. But yeah, they're, they're, they are amazing. They're mm. a really young, exciting team and they always have loads of great ideas. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah You've good. actually got one of the most exciting jobs that I know, Nikki. Really? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so because you're hitting a whole different market here. You're hitting the European festival market and the world global market in certain areas. Talk me through another festival you work with. Okay. Or another event. You mentioned the the Amsterdam. Yeah, um, let me do that because I've just been yeah. to Amsterdam actually. Uh, yeah, the Amsterdam. Dance. I love the dam. It's great, oh, isn't yeah. it? The yeah. people are great. Yeah, many stories. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not for this. Maybe podcast. not for this podcast. Yeah. Maybe uh, for a late night <laughs> drinking session, <laughs> we won't reveal those secrets. Yes. Um, yeah, the Amsterdam Dance Event for anyone who you know is interested in the electronic music industry is a music industry conference for the electronic uh, music industry. Mm. You'd often get around five thousand delegates go to do meetings, wow. listen to panels, but they also have parties. It's probably the biggest city festival in the okay. world because basically all the nightclubs have parties for a week around it. So you would get like <laughs> awakenings, you get festivals into the woods, digital. Are the these all the names of festivals from? Yeah, these are the names of events that would go on around the Amsterdam dance okay. event. So the Melt, uh, the Meltweg is one of the oldest clubs in Amsterdam. Really great club, some great parties there. Awakenings do parties at the Gashouder, which is in like a, a kind of old kind of gas tank place Building. that's round and the lighting in there is absolutely amazing oh, wow. and they would do like parties a week and then there's an event called digital in holland they do special parties exit festival do one on this crane that's uh, part of into the woods festival there's just you could see every dj you want there's boat parties all sorts all going in on. the dam for one week yeah what I mean, month is this october Oh, you need to come. Gutted. I mean, this I'm all year, over the, yeah, yeah. This, this year there was 350 events in about 150 venues all across the city for a You're week. You're joking me. No. I didn't know this. <laughs> wow. Where have you been, Dodge? Wow, come on. I know. I've been hiding under a rock. You can come with me next Mate, I'm time. I'm all over that. We'll take you. So basically, yeah. it's a great place to meet and do business. Yeah. And I think the peop reason people like it is they do do meetings. People will rock up and do 20 meetings a day and then they'll be out partying yeah. all night. So yeah. it's a huge for business, but huge for social. Um, so people like Beatport do events there. Uh, she Said So did a networking event there. What, she so Said So? She Said So is the um, thing I, uh, I think I did mention it earlier. It's um, the uh, community for women in the music industry. Yeah. And they have different what's called chapters in different cities all around the world. So okay. I run the Brighton, run the Brighton one. one. Okay. Yeah, and there's, there's like one in London, London. New okay. York, Amsterdam. So it's a great place to meet other women in the music industry, oh, uh, which is good. But yeah, I would definitely advise it because it's just a great place to network. Yeah. You know, and as and we said before. what a great excuse. Of course. I'm going to Amsterdam for a week to network, to meet yeah. people in the music and events industry and have fun as well. Exactly. Perfect. But weirdly with ADE, when I worked for a record label, I went there as like a punter. Yeah. You know, they're you know, going to meet people to kind of do licensing deals for the music I yeah. worked with at the time. So I've been on the receiving end going there thinking this is an amazing event. Yeah. And then now I work on it. Wow. So that's kind of really exciting. I've probably worked on that event probably for like 10, 12 years as well. Well, you've built up some it. really nice long-term partners, haven't you? Some people you work with. Yeah, I, I guess I love it because they end up being a family. And yeah. I think I'm that kind of person that I like working in small teams. Yeah. I like it being a family. I want it to mean something. Yeah. I don't just want it to be, oh, paycheck and corporate. Yeah. It's nice having that relationship Agreed. and, you know, wanting to go that extra mile. And yes, sometimes the late night calls are a bit yeah. of a pain in the ass, but, you know, then you're just like, well, 
they feel they can trust me to call me at that time and do that for them. So, but that's you know, why you've built long-term relationships because if you didn't answer those calls at late <laughs> at night, you wouldn't have these long-term relationships. No, that's Because the world true. we're in, we don't work nine to five. We yeah. work whenever an idea comes to the mind and you've got to deal with something. You've got to be reactive, so true. right? Yeah. So true. Yeah. Well, you would know all about that. Absolutely. You know? I mean, the thing is, though, you know, some people say to me, like, oh, but you can't have a holiday without your laptop. You've always got to have your emails. And I'm like, yeah, but that's my choice. Yeah. I, I've chosen that as a career. And I think the pluses outweigh those minuses. 100%. You know. Because it means you can go wherever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and be on the end of the phone on an email or WhatsApp or whatever it may be. Yeah, but that's what I mean. We've chosen that yeah. career and, you know, yes, it is 24-7, seven days a week, yeah. but that passion and love for it is there. Yeah. You know, still hasn't gone away. I know actually when I was at Exit this year, a couple of my friends were saying, oh, you know, we're getting old a bit, you know, not sure I want to be on the ground and doing this. I'm like, I'm loving it. Loving it, yes. <laughs> I want to be in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, how many people is Exit Festival in Serbia? I wouldn't even think about going. Serbia is the old Yugoslavia, right? Yes. I wouldn't even think about even... It crossed my mind about going to serve it. Would you yeah. recommend it to anyone to go to this festival? Oh, my God. Hell, yeah. Really? Definitely. I mean, the atmosphere is definitely second to none. And it's super cheap. Yeah. You fly to Belgrade, which I think is one of Lonely Planet's like hottest clubbing cities as well. It's like a, got a great nightlife scene there. So it's thriving in the city wow. as well. So a lot of people come to the festival, maybe do a few days in Belgrade after or before. Yeah. Depending how and much how you can manage. how far is it? If you fly in, from, you got flying from London, I take to Belgrade. How long? What's the it's difference about, from Belgrade to get to the festival? It's, uh, it's in a place called Novi Sad, and it's about an hour's shuttle bus. Okay. Um, and thing is, when you get there, Eastern Europe, as you know from going to Croatia and these kind yeah. of countries, is really cheap. Yeah. So, I think the tickets about ninety to hundred pounds for Two four days. days. And then the accommodation's cheap, the food's cheap, the drinks cheap. So and it's it a makes great vibe, it, good people, and it's super hot and sunny. And yeah, that's what I mean. It's just a really, but it's. I think that's why you know, I said before I love my job because yeah. you get to go to countries you would never yeah, think agree. of agree. and then you learn about the culture, the music scene and you just come away knowing, you know, hopefully being a better person sounds a bit yeah. cheesy, but just because you've got more knowledge what about month, what's going what on. What month is Exit Festival? July. July. So busy month. It is a busy month. Give me another festival you work on. Uh, another event you work on you, you mentioned what about the Miami you mentioned the Miami music I mean I don't work on that one yeah. but that's but another one that's it. in the industry that's one that should be on people's radar you know to work in the electronic industry because that's the the one in the states and yeah. obviously lots of people used to go there to sign records and you know do their meetings there as well so definitely so make you're saying sure. people go there to sign records what do you mean by that uh, well, kind of back in the day, people would go there, like particularly people like Pete Tong, and they'd, they'd kind of be looking for the new records and who would sign them. And then they would find records there, be playing them on the radio, and then they'd be the hits of the summer in Ibiza. Oh, right, okay. So obviously with technology now, with, you know, MP3s and, yeah. you know, music being digital and on Spotify, you know, it's it's not as much now as you finding those new materials at specific events. But, you know, back when we used to go, it was the thing that you would discover new records there and sign them, and then they would be the hits of the summer. So, for example, Pete Tong would go to Miami. Mm -hmm. There'd be uh, DJs there with create or music people who created music. Yeah, Pete would then go and say, "I want that track." Would he buy that track? What? How, how does that work? What will he do with that track to bring it back to say, "Right, this is going to be a banger for Ibiza." Will he own the rights to that? How does it work? I think when he worked at London Records, that's yep. what he was doing. He was finding a lot of tracks and lots of different record labels would be competing for those kind of big records at the moment. Yeah. So it was always really exciting who would sign it, who would, what's the big track. Okay. So yeah, but I don't think that happens so much no. now, which is kind of sad because it was kind of the buzz of what's happening, what's going yeah. on. Well, you it's know. The physical, it was the physical event, yeah, wasn't exactly. it? Now you press buttons and I'm sure. I know, yeah. Yeah. which is sad. But yeah, sad. So, so yeah, so... 
that so that was the kind of big buzz about going there but there's still some great clubs a great music scene there and obviously if you want to you know sign your record to, or do licensing deals or like with gaming companies a lot of those are in the states so yes. it makes sense to go to those and events what, and and do what those month, meetings what month is that at the march, miami music normally. so it's march is it is that yeah. a good excuse to go away for four days i think it could be it could be it's good. another good excuse isn't it <laughs> so i'm giving you all these there's places a lot of, yeah, to go exactly. to <laughs> right march i've got that sorted july i'm sorted there and october yeah, i'm sorted there. yeah <laughs> all the months and there's nothing going on here apart from the july one I yeah guess, i mean yeah. you know I mean, if, if you look at the industry and research it, you could be going to an industry conference every month. There are just so many now, you know, because I mean, I'm quite lucky because I, I feel like I span the live and the electronic yeah, side. I suppose yeah. a bit like you with your sports and festivals, yeah, yeah. you know, so you kind of be a bit of everything. Yeah. You can be everywhere. You can be rock chick and dance chick. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> you know, you know everything that's going on. Not everything. You, you do. I know you do. <laughs> Tell me more. I try. Tell me more. Tell me some more festivals you work on or events you've worked on in Europe. Okay. Um, I work on one in Iceland called Secret Solstice. Um, in Iceland? Yeah. And their, their ethos is they love mixing music and nature. So uh, their events during the summer solstice, the sun doesn't set. The so it's set. light for like three days, which is a bit freaky. That is weird, isn't it? Um, yeah. What month is that? It's June. Okay. So it's the same time as Glastonbury, okay. but in Iceland. Yeah. And they also, because they love mixing music and nature, they do DJ sets in a glacier, which Did is they? really cool. Uh, it's a bit of a mission to get there, though. So you've kind of like got to go on these snowmobiles and all down How this cool glacier. And they have a DJ in a glacier. What sort of numbers are we talking for this festival, roughly? Would you uh, say? Maybe fifteen to 20,000 for well, that one. A, so not as a, big still a, as, still as a bigger, Exit. Still a big, big old festival, though, yeah. 20,000 in, yeah. in Iceland. Yeah. And what's that vibe like? Are you dressed in sort of ski outfits and jackets <laughs> and hats? and? When you go to the glacier, yeah, it can be a bit colder. They also have like acoustic sets in like these lava tunnels and then there's water dripping on you. So you're wow. a bit cold doing that. Wow. But the actual festival is not too cold. And um, is, it a, is it a boozy culture? Is it a drug culture? Is it a bit, a um, bit of both? I don't know. I is think it all I think Icelandic people? I th yeah, ma mainly Icelandic and American actually because there's some really good connection flights from the States that they've done to fly via Reykjavik. So one of the big markets is uh, a lot of people from the States come and they get a lot of the good American artists that maybe wouldn't play in Europe. So they have a lot of, I think the rap scene's quite big there. Okay. So they get a lot of the big rap acts there. Okay. So yeah, so again, wow. it's the different scenes. Yeah. Although the drink is really expensive there. You I know, can imagine, what, 12 quid, 14 quid a drink plus? Could be worse. Yeah. I mean, I remember taking some journalists out and they wanted to go, you know, in the town, you know, as, as you do, take yeah. the journalists out. And then you buy a round of drinks, they were 25 euros oh, each. Joking. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Just you off know. to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, honestly. that Because so, I'm used to being at countries where yeah. the drinks are cheaper. Cheap, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you go there and you have a heart attack. But obviously then there's other things to experience yeah. there, which is really good. So yeah. so that's... Just uh, going back to Exit, what's, what's, what's the capacity of Exit? What'd you get uh, about 45 to 50,000. Right? Yeah, so quite big. So. Do you know what? Out of the two you mentioned, I'd love to go and check out the Icelandic one. Don't get me wrong but i really fancy that, that exit. Uh, exit in serbia yeah i mean this year was amazing because it was one of the first events that actually took place post pandemic at yeah. full capacity and they always let the last dj play on till late in the morning like past eight o'clock yeah. you know normally nine yeah, you know yeah, yeah, pushing yeah, yeah. it a little bit yeah. on the last day but this time they had solomon playing and they let him play till 10 and i was like 
I don't care. I'm dancing till whenever yeah. he's playing because I might not get to do this again, again. for a long time. Yeah. So we were there to attend. Then it was like, oh my God, I've got to rush back to the hotel, get breakfast. And then you had to be up and showered and then you're writing the post-event press release. So that night I actually didn't sleep at all. Happy days. Happy <laughs> I, days. I think the biggest thing for me was like, oh my God, my body can still do this. Yeah. I, can yeah, still, sure. I can still go for four days and no sleep, no eating. I can do it. Dodge, I can still yes, do it. Yes, Nikki. You know, when you just like worry thinking, God, can I still do yeah. this? Well, no, going, they, they, what that, the funny thing is you think when you when you're on the way there you're going four old days of this really can I handle it when you're in it you're like this is amazing yeah (laughs) Yeah. by the time you're at day four you're like oh is it over is it over yeah I could go again (laughs) but yeah I think that's the biggest thing as you get older you think can my body still do it can I still do it and I think yeah I think the adrenaline kicks in and I can I've still got it yeah yeah good stuff give me another give me another festival you work with okay uh Lowlands in Holland Lowlands in Holland. Where in yeah. Holland's that? That is, uh, oh, I can't pronounce the word actually. I should be able to do this yeah. by now. But it's kind of, uh, I think it's Northern Holland. Okay. Um, fly and in, fly into. You fly to Amsterdam, okay. then it's about an hour on the train. Okay. So it's not too far. Um, that one is a bit like your Reading and Leeds type festival, okay. but in Holland. But their services and how they present it is just much higher standard. Their glamping is out of this world. Really? Like when I go, all the press get all these different. Um, Wooden huts, caravans, teepees, you get a choice. So they give you different, or you'll get a different one to experience something different. You know, so you've got, uh, I think when I'm there, they even have a mayor of the campsite. Yeah. And he's walking around in his all gear and his chains. What a nice touch that is. You know, and uh, I even get duvets and pillows. Yeah. Very nice. I like the idea of that, a mayor of the glamp mayor site. Of the because actually he's looking after you all and you're all chatting to him and he's the face of the glamp site for that weekend. Yeah, he's such I a love character. That. He's, he's really cool. I love that. Yeah, so that that's really cool. And they have really, um, you know, all their stages are covered as well. So... Um, with kind of the roof, us often the sides are out, but it means that because it rains in Holland like yes. it does in the UK, it yep. means that even if you're watching the headliner, you don't always get wet. So, okay, it, uh, so that they well, so think that, about well, these So they things. have a main stage with a roof on. on. With a roof on. Yeah, that must it's, be enormous. it's kind of this big curved roof. Yeah, it's amazing how they do it. And they call their stages like Alpha, Gamma, Beta as right? well. They're really, yeah, really cool names. Uh, and they've even got horses in the backstage area. Have they? <laughs> yeah. What, on someone's DJ's rider? <laughs> I want three pigs, five horses. Yeah. And no, I think it's just the field they're in. So there's okay. always these horses there, which are quite calming and yeah, nice yeah. in the backstage. Lovely. But yeah, I, I picked up on something you mentioned there. You said the service is really yeah. good. Tell me what you mean by that. Uh, well, I suppose just the standard of things. Mm. So um, the standard of the food they've got available, the yeah. standard that they've got more seating, they've got more fun areas. Um, you know, like if you go to Reading and Leeds or some other festivals, you know, I don't think yeah. there's as much on offer yes, to a high quality. Yeah. And I think the Dutch do it so well. Yeah. You know, they really, really do. I mean, obviously you're paying to go there and it's a different thing, but I think, you know, the standard of camping and the facilities they've got are definitely one of the highest I've seen. Yeah. Really, really That's lovely good. to hear. You know. What about the toilet situation? Do you know the toilet situation is the biggest problem at all UK festivals? Yeah. Biggest problem at all festivals worldwide. Yeah. Because you can't have enough toilets. That's why everyone pays for VIP. VIP I, to I think Lowlands, the glamping section's got bigger every year because yeah. everyone loves it. Just and pay a bit more and get some luxury. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah. you don't mind camping and doing that, but you you know you don't want to queue for a toilet. You've got nicer showers. Yeah. They've got hot water. And when you arrive, you don't have to put up a tent. It's all ready, waiting yeah. for you. It's Bed, already done. Duvet, quilt. Yeah, everything's there for you. Loving Hair it. Hair straighteners <laughs> for the women. It's the way forward. It really is. Yeah, actually, you're right. In the dressing area, they have got chairs right. and mirrors and mirrors. hair dryers and all Absolutely. that stuff. Yeah. 
And it just makes it a nice experience because they decorate it and make it all beautiful as well. Yeah. So it looks really cute. Yeah. So everyone takes their pictures and it looks nice. Yeah, so I like it. Think. I'm enjoying this European journey. Oh, by we're the way. doing a little journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Tomorrowland? Have you ever been to Tomorrowland? I have actually. Have you? Actually, I've worked on their digital festival because uh, I've known them for many years. Because uh, when I was doing more artist promotion, um, I worked with a techno DJ called Dave Clark, and he had a stage there. Uh, for many years um, and uh, we'd have a bit of a tour bus session because he lives in Amsterdam we'd all fly to Amsterdam get on his tour bus drive to Boom in Belgium where the festival right, is yeah. and then have a little tour bus moment and then uh, yeah he'd go and then play on his stage so oh, wow. it, it, I mean it is really fun if, if you've not been there it's a whole different thing though I think I don't think the energy's the same because most people go to have their picture taken. You know, it's a very selfie situation. It's a very Instagrammable festival, yes, right? Exactly. The, uh, but the stage designs, if that, you haven't seen it, you've got to go and just see that yeah. because it's a whole different vibe. It, yeah. it, it's about the spectacle, the design, the, the yeah, yeah, all of that. So, it, so. Each festival's different. I would never say any festival's better. Yeah. I would always say that it's just different and you, you take something different from each yeah. one. So this one is the spectacle, spectacle yeah. and the vastness of it. Yeah. And you just go, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, it might not be your music or it might be kind of different, but you've got to go once. You have yeah. to go once. So Tomorrowland to is in Belgium in a town yes. called Boom. Yes. Yeah. Wow. 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 I've heard amazing stuff. You know what? I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard that their capacity is 180,000 and that it was so packed out. They then opened up the following weekend for another 180,000. So they're back to back, same festival on back to back weekends. I mean, I probably don't know the exact capacity, but yes, they do do two weekends because it's so popular. They sell out. But the thing is, they're so. They're so thoughtful in how they create their tickets. Like you get like this a special box, pack, and a, that's yeah, right, yeah. Uh, which then obviously people unbox and Instagram and take a picture of. You know, it's very visual, very creative. And when they created their digital festival, yeah. they were the first one to do that. And obviously, everyone's calling this kind of thing a metaverse now. Yes. So they probably did it first. Yeah. But you know, they're very ahead of the game. Um, yeah, their design is just you know out of this world, definitely. Mm. But you know, but a different kind of person would go, mm. I think, to another festival because it's very kind of. You is know, it, does it feel commercial? Um, I guess it does a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, because of the size of everything and the vastness and the, the stage decor, so it does feel kind of bigger. Yeah. I've never been to Tomorrowland, okay. and the people that have been to Tomorrowland come back and go and dodge. It is off the charts. You it, have to go. It is. You have to see it because if you, it's so hard to describe it when you see how big the stage is and the design on it. Like you could be looking at the stage forever and then spots a dancer on it or something yeah. moving on it. You know, yeah. there's so much thought gone into that design that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Yeah. So well, we've gone from Amsterdam, we've gone to Serbia, yeah. we've gone to Iceland, yeah. we've gone to Belgium, we've done Holland. Well, I suppose you can't talk about the music industry without saying you've been to Ibiza, can you? Of course. Let's go. Let's go to Ibiza. (laughs) Here we go. Now we're talking. Okay. I mean, I suppose I probably went to Ibiza more early on in my career when I worked with Pete Tong because of the radio one in Ibiza um, shows there, which obviously became legendary and everyone would go in August and it was just such an amazing thing. And obviously they would be 
playing the hits of the summer yeah. and it was just a really nice place to congregate and see mm. people. So I probably went a lot then. And then Pete also did his own night at Pasha yeah. when I worked with him. So we'd often go there to that. And then I didn't go for quite uh, a few years. And then recently I've started going back because, again, there's another music industry conference there. Is there? Yeah. Go on. In It's going to be April this year because they're going to extend the season. And it's called IMS, which is the International Music Summit. Brilliant. Uh, Whereabouts? And, um, I think it's going to be at Destino. Okay, fantastic. Um, and they do it... Uh, Lovely it's, hotel. It's normally... Mm. Yeah, so that's kind of mm. nice to go Perfect. there. So it's normally uh, two to three days, and they'll have panel discussions and networking events, and they always do this amazing event called the Legends Dinner. Uh, last time I went, it was uh, Javier from Cafe Mambo, and a lot of industry people go. Yeah. Uh, so you ha so you get to network and hang out with you know all the movers and shakers, yeah. having a lovely dinner and lovely place, celebrating the life of a legend. Yeah. You know, and career of someone who you know means a lot to Ibiza. So that wow. was a really special one. You know, uh, looking at his. I'm never going to be at home done. now. You know that. <laughs> Jeez, I've got April sorted, I've got March sorted, I've got October sorted. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, busy time. So they're saying, so going back to Ibiza then, they're saying mm. they want to extend the season. Because I believe, I believe it should be extended anyway. I believe it should be extended in, into mid-October. You know, I know everyone's going back to school or there's people are going back to work stuff, but the weather is so good out there. Why would you not just yeah. keep it open I think a little they have, longer? I mean, I'm not up on the Ibiza scene as much as I probably mm. should be, but I think they have extended it a little bit this year. Mm. Uh, because obviously, you know, all the venues and events people have lost a lot of money in the pandemic. Right. So clearly they need to claw some of that back mm. to survive and mm. be there for us all to dance in next year. Mm. So, uh, so I think next year they're definitely extending it. So it's going to start earlier. What, um, so to start in April, in April. and so push it to October? So, yeah, so IMS is normally in May. Yep. When the opening parties start, yep. but then move to April next year. Great so, idea. so yeah, just so another excuse to get people up earlier out out there earlier, yeah. isn't it? So it, it was yeah, so it'd be really nice. So it'd be interesting to see what goes on there. So I love Ibiza. Yeah, it's for a so many different for so many different reasons. It's it's the nicest island I believe in Europe. Beautiful coves, beautiful restaurants, nice people. It's friendly. It's not too big. You can have it if you want to have it, and you can yeah. also have nice daytime lunches and. And still have fun without yeah. going crazy in the clubs as well. But also, again, it's a melting pot of different cultures and people, yeah. isn't it? You can meet Italians, yes. Spaniards, you know, uh, Germans, people yeah. from all over the world. So you get to, uh, as I like, to meet people from different countries and, and different cultures. So it is that melting pot, I think, that makes it special. Agree, agree. Going back to your PR uh, company, tell me a bit more about the PR company, how long you've been running for. Okay. And also I'd like to know... You know, anyone listening out there, especially girls who are listening, or what opportunities there are in the events industry that you've experienced over the years that could help someone listening right now okay. to go, you know what, if you're out there and you're highly organised and you're out there and you love people, have a think about this in the events industry. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I started my company in 2007. Yeah. Um, I left the DJ agency I was working with after opening my eyes to events and thinking I love working on events. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a leap of faith, I mm. suppose, starting on your own. Um, but also I think as well at the time, you know, us girls aren't very good at asking for wage rises and finding more opportunities to progress in the industry then. So I just thought, well, if I work for myself, then I can kind of figure out I charge what I want and yeah just get what I'm happy with and what I'm comfortable with. Mm. So obviously you worry when you first start, will I get enough clients? Yep. Will I be okay? Uh, but I think, you know, if, if you're a half decent person and, and you're hardworking and you're loyal and trustworthy, I think those things, Great. you know, help you progress forward. And then 
it's a small industry, so yeah. people get to know you, and then it kind of snowballs, and then they want you to work on their event yeah. and their event and their event, which yeah. is kind of really, really nice. So I suppose I, I never looked back from there. Mm. Um, you know, I still probably struggle with, you know, thinking, oh, how much do I charge? I don't know. Yeah. I think everyone's, you know. everyone's, everyone's <laughs> winging it still. I know. We all are. No one's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I think... Nowadays, if I look back with the opportunities young people have, when I first started, there was never the thought that you should start your own company mm. or it was always you were going to work for someone else and mm. you'd probably work, as in the Tim Ferriss book, The 4-Hour Work yeah. Week. You're going to, I don't know if you read that, but it's it's an interesting book and it kind of says, you know, you're conditioned to kind of think that you're going to uh, do this same career and you'll do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Whereas actually, we're probably quite good at a lot of things. Yeah. You know, look at you doing your podcast now, yeah. you know, like, why not try lots of different things, yeah. you know, uh, and I think that's probably right, you know, so why not do lots of different things, but don't think you failed. It's like, I'm going to try this. No, I'm going to try that. Or I might be better at that. That's so, what your twenties are for. Try yeah, everything. Exactly. I, like, I mentor people in the events industry and I'm like, try it. You're 20. Yeah. Try it. Go and work for a PR agency. Go and work for a, a DJ. Go and work for, as a promoter. Go and work. And, and I believe if someone's got a, creative mind i think there's so many opportunities in this industry so much so much let's just go through what opportunities you believe there are in the events industry as a whole just so people out there know the events industry isn't about just putting on an event you know what opportunities are out there for people listening yeah i mean well there's so many people i mean you know um if i think of one of the legendary lawyers from glastonbury who's i think just recently retired ben chalice you know he's a lawyer but he's working with glastonbury festival so you know he's a lawyer but he can still work in music being yeah. a lawyer most people probably wouldn't think that yeah. obviously judge Dawes is a lawyer as well you know he's a dj and a lawyer yeah. so you know and it's it's thinking outside the box so you know maybe you're an accountant and you want to work in you know publishing at a record label or you could be doing budget sheets for festivals yeah. i don't know yeah. um, but i suppose a lot of the people i've seen are different jobs particularly women do is like tour managers yes you know a lot of tour managers are women now and yeah. they obviously travel around with artists all around the world uh and actually i got to meet another girl from clubhouse actually mm. in um amsterdam okay. her name was lottie okay. and she's uh, a female tour manager and Brilliant. she used to do a really lovely chat on clubhouse and i learned so much from them yeah. listening to them you just think god tour managers don't get enough credit they don't get enough credit they know everything Agreed. about the industry Agreed. and she's about to go on tour with m83 and royksel is she you know so okay. um yeah so give, that, me a, give me an idea of what a tour manager would do yeah god uh, anything because it's and everything. everything yeah i mean they've yeah. got to plan go through plan the whole tour so they have to liaise with you know the management the label the artist you know they're managing all the tour they've got to have a black book full of gold you know mm. so when they're of all the contacts so when they go to a different city you know they know who to find and who to call if there's a problem in it to fix things in each city you know if there's favorite restaurants or dry cleaners or whatever yeah. you know they need to know everything in every city so yeah. they're constantly building contacts you know and they have to you know make it run like clockwork yeah. i mean i liaise with the tour manager because obviously i'm that one asking if their artists would do interviews all yes. the time and if you're nice to the tour manager yeah. that definitely helps you because yeah. they're the one that can say yes or no yeah uh, and know if the artist's in the right mood to do it or mm. not, or if they'll help you. So, yeah, definitely befriend the tour manager. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> They're great people. They are, they are. Um, there's a new kind of women in the music industry group called Moving the Needle. They're actually putting together a, a big kind of list of all the different types of jobs that you could do because they want to try and get that message across to you know, kids younger at schools yeah. because... You're not taught we, this, are you? Yeah, exactly. All you think is, oh, 
marketing, lawyer, doctor. You know, you're not taught this in depth. Whereas I think if people knew some of these opportunities, they might think, oh, I'd love to do that. So it's just getting that message across of, you know, and, you know, how do we do that better? How do we tell people that there are all these opportunities there that they would never think until it's too late? Agree. I mean, if you're good with people, you know, think about artist liaison, you know, being that person backstage, making Mm. sure everyone's okay, Or or even think about when you you check into a festival and you change your wristband, the people you meet there. Yeah. Those people are the, so important yeah. because they're the first person you meet. So if they're moody, yeah. you're going to go, oh, oh. But if they're lovely and friendly, lovely. amazing. I agree. It's going to give a good vibe for your whole festival exactly. at the front door. That's why it's important for us. All the security are happy and bubbly. All the caterers are happy and bubbly because they're, yeah. your, they're, your, they're giving the vibe off to your festival straight yeah. away. All the food trucks. Yeah. That's what I mean. You know, think about how uh, people are all into creative, amazing food now. Yeah. You know, someone might want to make like, some amazing vegan food truck that they take to festivals. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing one at a festival, actually. Um, where was it? I think it was a food event when I was traveling somewhere. Where was it? Well, I think it might have been Australia. Um, and they had there was this great um, truck and it was strumpets with crumpets. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and, <I was> just <laughs> like, and they were in, in all this kind of like kind of... Uh, boudoir kind of clothing you know very Dieter Von Tees doing these amazing food and I never forgot it because I was like amazing but yeah you can be so creative with food now so you know if there's people out there want to make amazing food why not have a festival food truck everyone's gone street food now yeah exactly there's loads of cool there's loads of cool it's not your cream and green um funfair food anymore like it used to be 15 years ago Soggy burger, Soggy hot burger. dog, Exactly. That's it. Now it's really cool food. Yeah. Really Again, nice. it gives a nice vibe for your festival because people yeah. are there for the experience. Yeah. So any foodies listening, yeah. get your food truck, get to a festival. We want you. We, we want, want you. to eat nice 100%, 100%. food. 100%. Actually, going, I'm going to ask you a question yeah. now because you touched on your clubbing thing. Yeah. And we, we kind of mentioned it a little bit before. How the hell have we not met? I know. If you were it's like... It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, know. you know, we always say that the, the industry is such a small you know, circuit circuit of people. And I'm just like, how haven't we yeah. met? If, what were you doing in your clubbing scene then? You know, where, why didn't we met? Because I was at uni in Manchester, so I was at Cream and Hacienda yeah. a lot. So where were you? We were, I when we launched in 1999, we launched student nights. Okay. And no one was doing student, as a promoter, no one was doing student nights. And I started doing a student night in, uh, at Loughborough University. Right. And going, right, put on a Wednesday night, packing a thousand students. I remember doing a deal then where they were getting... Uh, the, the students were charging two pounds to go in. There's already a thousand students in there. I said I went to the owner. I was like, I'm one of the main faces on campus, rugby boy. How about we make it three quid? I'll take a quid. You take two quid. Everyone's winning. And I'll drive trade early and we get more people through the doors. And we end up taking that nightclub to 2,000 every Wednesday. Amazing. So as a student, I was getting two grand a week back in 99 as a 20-year-old. That's amazing. And I also had a club in London in Wandsworth every week as well. And that was another grand. So I was coming back as a student with three grand every week. Wow. No, yeah. no student debt for you then. There was no student debt whatsoever. <laughs> but that's what that's what sparked yeah. me and go, if I did, if I did this around the country, I don't want to go and get a job when I finish a PE sports science degree. You know, I wasn't made. I'm, I think I'm un, unemployable. How about if we scaled this up and we went around the country and we built it up to twelve nightclubs every single week at Amazing. peak, from Manchester to Brighton to Birmingham to Leicester to London to Bournemouth, Portsmouth, Southampton, everywhere. That's amazing. You know, and that's what we did. I did that for 10 years. I'll take the door money, you take the really? bar money. And back then in 2000s, it was all about the super clubs. Mm-hmm. I wanted clubs with capacities of 2,000 plus because the sums aren't hard to work out. You yeah. Know? Three quid a pop, 2,000, minus your outlay, minus your DJs, minus your promotion. But back then there was no social media. 
So back then it was literally, we would print a million flyers. We'd print 15, 20,000 A0 <laughs> posters. So we'd be around yeah. fly posters and handing out flyers. But that was the only way you could yeah. tell people about it, you know? Yeah. But we created really good experiences at these nightclubs. And that's what led me, the next move really after doing nightclubs for 10 years was to then go, you know what, Why I don't want to be travelling around doing 30,000 miles a year, staying in hotels, etc. How about we do a sport or music festival when I can create a, a festival mixing sport and music, which hadn't been done before, and mixing seven, so it was rugby and netball, and, and that's what we've done. And we're 14 years later, we're here, still, still independently there. owned. Yeah. I know, it's yeah. lovely to come here and yeah. see what you've achieved yeah. as well. Very kind, very kind. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more, before we finish up here, do you work with anyone in the UK? Not so much, or, or actually. Or your niche, that European niche? Most of my, my clients are actually international. Mm. Uh, I mean, if I do things in the UK, it would be when music exports uh, promote their artists at something like The Great Escape. So I might work with the Dutch music export and help promote their artists to get journalists to see them when they're in the UK. So The Great Escape is in Brighton? Yes. What month is that? Uh, May. May. And tell me a little bit more about The Great Escape. What yeah. does it look like? What yeah, does it basically feel? The Great it... Escape is uh, like a showcase festival, so it's more bands. So we're going a bit rock and roll now. Okay. So all the new bands will play at The Great Escape. Um, what is The Great Escape? Is it one venue? It's basically a festival that takes place all across the city. Oh, wow. Um, so basically, it's, a, yeah, sh- it's a, like a showcase festival where you can see all the latest bands. Some uh, bigger name bands also play. Yeah. Uh, so you can go there and buy a ticket and see loads of bands, but lots of music industry people go as well. So it's one of those uh, networking industry yeah. conferences again. <laughs> God, I'm just uh, such, a, such a networker. Networker. <laughs> all of these places. All of these places. Um, so, yeah, so it's another one of those. And music e- different music exports from around the world will, will pay to do showcases to promote their artists there Brilliant. Uh, so often I work with with some of those uh, so maybe Italy Iceland or Dutch artists you know so you're getting the journalists to go and see and those that's on kind your doorstep it's on my doorstep Happy now days. I know I mean one you should come to you'll have to come to Brighton Music Conference percent. next year I worked that's going to be in May yes so I've got March April May July yeah, I'm October, just taking over sorted. your life yeah, exactly yes <laughs> Let, let's hang and take over your life <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit more about what else you're involved in because I know you speak on panels. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean um yeah, I suppose um I'm asked to speak on panels at different industry conferences. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of us don't pay for advertising to promote ourselves. So those kind of things are nice to give back to other people, yeah. but also it's a way to promote yourself as well, isn't it? So it's kind of like showing your, you know, an authority on that subject. So maybe at ADE I'll be on a panel about festivals or PR or something, and I might be one at the Brighton Music Conference. Sometimes I moderate panels as yeah. well, so you can kind of put a panel together and then moderate. Um, so, so who would you put on a panel, for example? If you were moderating, what people would you have on a panel where people listen are like, wow, he's on it, she's on it? Some yeah. powerful people in the music industry. Yeah, right? I mean, it depends what you're doing. I mean, I, I've done a lot with the Nighttime Industries Association recently. So you're moderating a panel with maybe Michael Kill, the CEO, uh, or you might have who was on a Michael panel. Michael Kill's with- coming on. Oh, is he? Show, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, actually, working with them was actually saved me during the pandemic because yeah. I have to admit, you know what it's like with events. We had nothing to do. Everything was over. That's right. Everyone was probably feeling hopeless, helpless. Yeah had no sense of purpose yeah. uh, and I got introduced to him by a guy called Billy who runs the Bright Music Conference okay. and uh, I just said hey well can I help you I'll just send out your press releases yeah. to help you and, and use my contacts to help the industry so um, we just ended up getting on really well and I've ended up staying with them and it just felt really nice to be part help, 
save the industry and do something. So what was I'd, that called? Nighttime Industries Association. Association. Okay. NTIA. And I, and, yeah, yep. and I've stayed with them now, and that that's actually probably my only client in the UK than yep. who I work with. But that really helped me learn about how the industry works behind the scenes and how you kind of lobby MPs for change and how you can. You know how venues are stuck with their rent issues and security shortages Brilliant. and all these kind of things. So I, I've learned so much yeah. more about the industry, and I've been able to use my skills to help the industry. Yeah. So I think that was probably my little COVID karma lockdown That's project. Lovely. That's <laughs> lovely. Do you know what I found interesting in this whole COVID thing is that the whole industry has come together. Totally. I have never in my life because events industry was kind of thrown into hospitality industry. Mm. Events industry now is events industry by itself, and it is huge huge yeah there's some big movers and shakers in this industry and we've all come together there's no competitions none of this everyone's come together and how can we help yeah. and our biggest thing is by doing this online events course is how we can help the next generation coming through you know how can we fast track you because what i've noticed in this covid uh, the covid what's gone on is there's so many people who left the events industry who are in their 30s and 40s because they've got to go and earn a pound note to look after yeah. their family that's opened up so many opportunities for the next generation coming through yeah and i think that's the most exciting bit of what we're doing you know definitely we need them we need you yeah. young people yeah. come and join us Agreed. you know um but like you say it's it's making them feel that there is an opportunity for them they are wanted they are welcome yeah you know, and for them just to have the courage to get stuck in and do it, yeah. you know, like we did, yeah, you know, agreeing. ringing round, ringing up radio DJs. Absolutely. Can I come and meet you? Yeah. Can you come on my show? Yeah. Just banging, <laughs> you know? it's knocking on people's doors. Yeah. Don't be, don't be afraid yeah. to pick up the phone. And because of social media, you can get into people, get into people's DMs. You can send people messages. Yeah. But the biggest thing for me is pick up the phone. Get past the get gatekeeper, yeah. pick up the phone and speak to the top person. Don't go to someone middle range or low range of the company. Yeah. Get to the top person. Because yeah. any any good top person out there will reply to your messages. You know? Yeah, especially no one, LinkedIn and stuff LinkedIn's like that. LinkedIn's key, and I know you're big on LinkedIn. Where can people find you, Nikki? Because Me. I think you're going to open up, and this is a wonderful conversation, I think I want to open up a lot of people contacting you. You know, that anyone who's... I know you're homing on the uh, females and, and getting yeah. women into the events and stuff. I think that's really powerful. Because I think it's like 81% of people who do an events management degree a female. Oh wow! Okay, that's and good I statistic. find that really yeah. odd because okay. it's a very male orientated industry. It's seen as that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I've never really felt like that. I mean, I know there's lots of things at the moment with the whole Me Too thing and people feeling they're not given the opportunities in the workplace. But you know, I have to say, in my industry, you know, men were the people who gave me an opportunity, yeah. gave me that first break. So yeah. there are definitely some men out there, you know, like yeah. yourself, who are willing to help people as well. Yeah. So um, I guess if people want to find me, um, you know, or if um, I suppose... I suppose e they can just email me. Let's be old school. Yeah, email. <laughs> but I'm on obviously LinkedIn You're and I'm on, on Instagram yeah. and uh, a Facebook, all those yeah. kind of things. But um, Nikki McNeil. Yes. Check her out, everyone. <laughs> this is a powerful woman in the music and Aww. events industry. Nikki, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We could have been going on forever, I know, couldn't we? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And we'll probably go on, carry on. There will be a part on. two. Yeah, there will be a part two. <laughs> Nikki, you're a superstar. Thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Cheers, Bye. Nikki. Take care. Bye. Bye.